Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. Hello, Alice May Perkis. Hi, Joe Peach. How are you? I'm fine. I have a cat on my lap, uh, which is fine, but it is warm, and she is warming my lap. Like a mini radiator on a very hot day. Like a mini radiator on a very hot day. It is a hot day. And we have had some... um, I'm not doing a quick segue, but it was a a segue nonetheless, because I just felt it happened, you know, naturally. But then I made all the spiel in between, which doesn't feel make the segue work at all, which is that... But I have heard some stories about uh, some hot legs already today with our guest, Suki. Oh, yeah, she's talking about her hot legs after surgery. Yeah, did you like my segue there? Yeah, it would have been snappier if you hadn't banged on about what a quick segue it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I regret that, actually. But, uh, yes, some fantastic stories about hot legs uh, there as well. Yeah, great stories. Um, just, yeah, a brilliant storyteller all around, really. She was, oh, God, man, sorry, I've, got, I've gone really nasal because um, the pollen count is sky high today. I think, you know, I think the um, the listeners are going to appreciate that. They're going to know that uh, they might share that with you, you know. Um, well, I was saying, yeah, the fact that um, I, I do get hay fever a lot more these days. Um, mm. And you think it's because of uh, the old stem cell transplant. Well, it's not just me. I There was a conversation that I saw on social media, and I would have told you about this had the doorbell not gone. Um, but, yeah, there was a conversation that I saw on social media. Um, I think it was actually Ryan um, of Cancer Lads who was talking about this um, on social media. And some people think that you can get um, more hay fever after cancer and chemo um, but then somebody said to him that if you have had a stem cell transplant you're more likely to get hay fever because it's a reset in your system and you basically go back to childhood essentially um, and lots of people get hay fever a lot when they're kids um, and yeah he was saying that it's it's the person who was talking to him was saying that it's quite common if you've had a stem cell transplant to get hay fever a lot. Now, we do get uh, healthcare professionals listening to the pod. Um, I would love to know if, yeah, I'd love to know if that's if that's something we've just heard. It's a, a tale that has been passed on. Or is it? Is there any truth in it? So, you know, um, shout out to our uh, regular uh, healthcare professionals who listen to us. If they could let us know, that would be yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I would um, love to hear that. Yeah. But- One thing I would say, though, is yeah. the pollen count is just incredibly high at the moment um so it might just be that we're all just hay fevery because it's hell um, anyway do i bring up um, and maybe uh, we don't i don't know how many um um people uh, biodiversity um experts we have who listen to the pod as well you know um, who could <laughs> i imagine not that many um but uh i'm interested to know is is i know it's the pollen's changing and stuff like that also interested is it um is the pollen count higher uh because less pollen is um being uh, taken by bees because we have less bee populations so mm. you need to stop going on about the bees um maybe 
you know? Maybe. Maybe. Um, anyway, should we stop talking about pollen and yeah, um, start talking about cancer and yes. hand over to our fantastic storyteller for the day, um, the wonderful, funny, candid, um, and just all around great Zuki. Hello and welcome to another episode of Afterthoughts. Hello, Alice. Hi, Toby. And welcome to today's storyteller, Suki. Oh, How are you? Hot. Very, very hot. Yes, we should say we are coming to you from the hottest day of the year so far, right? So far, the, the key the key phrase there I'd like to point out of going, because it is only June. <laughs> it is only June, but um, temperatures are supposed to get to, what, like 31 degrees today in London or something? God. Something like that. Yeah. So we um, should say, listeners, we have all got um, windows open, fans on. So if you hear anything that you wouldn't ordinarily hear, so the whizzing of a fan, the whizzing of a car going past, that kind of thing, uh, please do forgive us. But there is no way we were having windows closed or fans off today, unfortunately. I thought you were doing like this, like a safety announcement, like, um, <laughs> just in case you thought we were locked in, like a like a dog locked in a in a car. I thought this was like your way. I did do it like in quite a safety voice, did. didn't yeah, I? Really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's really great to have Suki here um, with us. Um, we've been working on a project together. Um, and Suki, last time we spoke, you were just about to go and get a new tattoo, weren't you? Yes, I was. Very nice little, well, not very little, quite big uh, tattoo on my arm. Yes. Um, what What have you got? What? Uh, so this specifically is yes. the birth months of my kids. So it's violets and um, lily of the valley for my daughter and then violets for my son. So. And do you have many tattoos? Yes. <laughs> many, many, much to my mum's dismay. Oh. Um, I have a full back piece. I have a huge Japanese dragon on my thigh and then lots of like little ones. So, yeah. How many so, have you got, Alice? Um, one. Two, three, four. Just four. Four. I'm, no. just got, I, I'm just one. I'm just one at the moment. And uh, at the moment, the moment. No, I quite like this idea. So, um, so I got mine at my. It was my uh, ten ten year oh. post post treatment kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, great, okay. So I'm going to get that as a like uh, acknowledgement. And then a friend told me it was quite slightly inspired by my friend who just does a. He's like, oh, I get a tattoo every decade. And it's about uh, and and this idea of, well, I, I took from that about like this what I've done with mine, which is to look back, but then to look forward uh, with with uh, like to acknowledge the past, but mainly it's about looking looking forward. And uh, so yeah, I might get another one in ten years time. That's what I'm, that's what like, I want to hold myself to. But will I? Who knows? That's a bit like Janus, isn't it? You know, um, Janus was the. Was it Greek or was it Roman? Janus, uh, for whom January is named after. Oh. Um, Janus was had two faces, one that looked forward and one that looked back. Oh. Maybe I should, maybe I should have... One every January. One. <laughs> that sounds like my sort of plan. I'd yeah. quite like to do that. I've got my next one booked in for August. 
already I love that because you haven't had one since since cancer and you were a bit like apprehensive about it right yeah because I just thought it was going to be really painful and yeah I was just like oh my god it's gonna really hurt because my skin seems really sensitive since like chemo and everything yeah I was like yeah somebody dragging needles through my arm is probably not the best thing but no it's fine so um I had the the other the other side of it where people were like, "Oh, is it, it did it did it really hurt?" And I was like, "Well, but the amount of like needles I've had in the past yeah. and things like that." I was like, "No, no, it didn't. It really didn't." But the no. ribs are the worst. Ribs. Just in case anybody's wondering, the ribs are. Yeah, the I, I have I've had. I have a little bit here. Yeah, I have a mastectomy tattoo, Stuffy. I don't know if you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so mine covers like my boob, and then I have a little bit on my ribs. And actually, even that, I was like, "That's okay." Am I? Is that because you're numb though? Um, there were not really. Like this is all numb, so I was like, "This is cool." Am I? Um, but the, the ribs, I was like, I can feel that, but it's like, it's okay. I'm all right with it. Is that like, did you just go, okay, so you can just, you can go like as hard as you want, and it's a case of going, also bring anybody you want for training, right? Because I, I, <laughs> I was, I'm so used to having my tits out, like, this is fine. Everybody can look. <laughs> um yeah she kept saying to me are you okay everything all right and I was like babes I can't feel anything like this is totally fine <laughs> how yeah. soon afterwards did you get the tattoo done Alice? oh I had to wait like uh 12 months I think before she'd do it right yeah yeah you wanted it straight away or uh, were you quite happy to have the 12 month gap <laughs> oh, I was happy to wait happy to wait because it had, had so much like tampering around the region I was like let's just give it a break <laughs> take a time out let's not fund all my tits for a few months <laughs> yeah let's, let's just leave it in peace please <laughs> um shall we get into what I love to uh like one of my favorite parts of the podcast which is our quick fire not quick fire round uh to um introduce the human being who is our storyteller today Yes, let's do it. Are you ready, Suki? Yes. Okay, um, Suki, could you please tell us the pronouns that you use? She and hers. Uh, who do people say you look like? I don't really have any... I don't think anybody's ever turned around and said, oh, you look like this person. Um, I can't even say that I look like my mum or my dad because my sisters always tease me when I was younger to say that I was adopted. So. <laughs> Why are siblings so savage? Because I'm the coolest one out of the three of us, so... uh, That's it. Obviously, obviously. (laughs) What is your most used emoji currently? The laughing one. Always always the laughing one. Nice. What's your biggest pet peeve? People who are overly sensitive to swearing. (laughs) Love a good swear. I'm very sweary. Um, and people that say it's so inappropriate but sometimes it's very appropriate to swear so yeah I completely agree Alice also gets quite shocked when I swear I'm perfectly fine with swearing but perhaps it doesn't happen as often with Alice I don't know but you just don't swear that much and then when you do I'm like oh my god Toby swore (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you could bake any fucking cake what would you bake (laughs) 
it would be a fucking Black Forest Gatto. <laughs> God, I love a Black Forest Gatto. They're fucking delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now, people, come on. Otherwise, we're going to have to put a uh, a rating on this podcast. (laughs) Don't worry, the podcast is already already marked as explicit. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Um, What film has made you laugh the loudest? Oh, there are so many, but there is a really random Tom Hanks... 80s film called The Money Pit and me and my sister absolutely love it there's a point in it where we just laugh until we cry but now it's got to the point that we know that point's coming up so we'll just start laughing before it comes up so we're literally just sitting there in a fit of giggles for about 10 minutes um, and now into uh, kind of the big question of the series we have one of these every year to kind of decide something uh, for for everyone, we feel, but mainly for Alison and myself. Um, friends or How I Met Your Mother? Oh. Hmm. Well, I've never really watched too much of How I've Met Your Mother. I've watched all of Friends, but re-watching Friends, I find it really problematic, so I might actually have to say How I Met Your Mother. Yeah! Wow. <laughs> that... like, she's going to go for friends. She's going to go for friends. That was so, yeah, that was really, uh, really catch some tenterhooks for that. that keepers on tenterhooks. And I can just say you chose the correct <laughs> answer. Okay, and then just give us a kind of one-liner summary <laughs> of what your cancer was, please. Uh, yes, I was diagnosed with... Estrogen and progesterone positive breast cancer in 2019. On Afterthoughts, we like to talk about what happens after the diagnosis. But the truth is, the diagnosis itself is still really important. So for this series, we are also exploring um, the diagnosis story as well. So Suki, I'm going to hand over to you so you can give us an insight into your diagnosis story. Thank you. Okay, so in, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of like pre-diagnosis. So May 2019, left my husband, moved back down to London, moved in with my mum and dad with my kids, decided I was going to have a whole new start, Um, started a university course to train to be a teacher, Um, was kind of doing everything by myself, managed to meet somebody else, was having a great time and then found a lump in my boob. And I was like, mm, that doesn't feel right. Um, but I think I must have ignored it for a bit because I was like, mm, it's just, it's nothing, it's nothing. Um, and then <clears throat> I went to the doctors and luckily I had a brilliant doctor, a female doctor, and she was like, oh yeah, definitely something there. It's probably nothing, but we'll get you checked out anyway. So sent me, fast track me to the hospital went to the hospital and everyone was like oh you're really young you've got no family history it's probably nothing and I was like yeah it's probably nothing this is going to be fine um and then I had a biopsy and so the guy was doing like an ultrasound and he's like oh I'm just gonna do a little biopsy and I was like okay this must be normal because it's on the letter it's fine um and off I went I was like yeah everything's fine I'm all right nothing's gonna happen 
And then my breast care nurse was like, oh, we'll probably give you a ring. And then she rang me and she's like, oh, you might need to come in for an appointment. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Still completely oblivious. I was like, oh, everything's fine. And then I went in as soon as I walked in, she was like, oh, you've come by yourself. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, and then, yeah, just sat down and I was like, oh, we're really sorry. It's cancer. And my head just went, Ooh, and I didn't hear anything that they said afterwards. Um, <clears throat> and then the surgeon that I had, they talked me through all the different procedures that they were going to do. And my surgeon was like, oh, I think I might want to check your lymph nodes. Um, and basically, long story short, they checked my lymph nodes. It had spread to my lymph nodes as well. Um, and they told me that on my birthday uh, in February 2020, I was told that it spread. So I'd have to have chemo and radiotherapy. We've heard the diagnosis story and now it is time for us to hear about after. So Suki, over to you for Beyond the Diagnosis. I, I sort of toyed with running in my 30s, in my early 30s. I think because my sister and her husband run marathons for fun. I know, I know, weirdos. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't really diss her too much. She's probably going to listen to this afterwards. So I love her. Um, but she, so she was always running and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm much of a runner. So I tried it a bit and um, yeah, it didn't really work. But then after I got cancer, so when I was having my first set of chemo, oh my God, the steroid high that I was on from that chemo was immense. I, so I think I used to have to take my steroids the day before, the day of, and the day after. So the day before I take them, I'd be like, ah, feel a little bit happy. And I would run a 5K and then I would go and have my chemo and then I would come back and on the same day, I would go for another run because I was just like, ah, totally mental off of these steroids. Um, and then it kind of slowly tapered off. Um, but every time I had, so I that was only with my first set of chemo, um, so every time I had those steroids, I was like high as a kite and I just couldn't, I couldn't sit down. And I was just, and I think, and then I got completely flawed by the second set of chemo. So I couldn't do it. Um, but since I'm feeling in inverted commas better, um, I try to run when I can. I think it gives me a real sense of being alive. Um, my favorite, favorite time to run is actually when it's drizzly um, because menopausal body, I'm hot all the time, right? So when I'm running, I actually experience hot flashes when I'm running. How delightful. Um, so to have it raining, I don't know. It's just like having an extra appreciation for being alive and being able to, to run. And then I kind of I don't know I really like the achiness of my muscles and the fact that I feel like my chest is going to explode and you know I am not a pretty runner I am literally one of those if I run past you I'm like <gasps> I sound like I'm about to die um but yeah I just like I wasn't able to do it for such a long time and it's one of the things that just it really helps my mental health I go a little bit bonkers if I don't 
exercise, uh, I can quite easily spiral into some really bad thoughts and I get really upset really quickly. So exercise is the one thing that actually keeps me on track and yeah, I feel keeps me healthy, not only physically, but mentally as well. There's lots of visible impacts of a cancer diagnosis, but there are many invisible impacts as well. This section explores those. Uh, Mine was probably when the kids have gone off to their dad um, and my second set of chemo made me really, really poorly. I got sepsis for the first two. Uh, for the first one, I ended up in <clears throat> hospital for, I think they just gave me IV antibiotics and then sent me home. They're like, oh, no, you're fine. And then when I went in for my second one, so there was a whole thing around me getting a temperature anyway, because it was part of COVID. Um, normally, you would just phone up the hospital and you say, oh, got a temperature. And they'd say, OK, you need to come in. We'll look after you. But everyone was like oh because of covid you need to just keep an eye on it just take some paracetamol and i just feel that like sometimes the hospitals their answer to everything is just take some paracetamol um and when you're not sure if you're dying it's you know a bit paracetamol isn't going to really make you feel any better um so yeah the the second time i got really ill and i went to the hospital and they ended up keeping me in for like four days. Um, and when I came home, I was just in a really dark place. So I'd recently split up with my partner and um, I was just really sad. I was really pissed off at the fact that I had cancer. I was pissed off at the fact that I didn't have a partner to support me and that I had to, as a then a 36 year old woman, had to rely on my mum and dad to look after me. Um, I just felt really bitter about everything. Um, but I couldn't really talk to my mum and dad about it. So my dad just doesn't talk about anything. He is the epitome of the strong man. Um, I love him dearly. Like he is there, but he I could never sit down and have a conversation with him. Also because it's breast cancer. So it's a bit weird talking to my dad about boobs. Um, but with my mum... She has her own mental health issues. So if I were to ever say to her, I feel really depressed, I don't think she'd be able to deal with it very well. So when I was feeling really upset, I couldn't say to my mom and say to her, I need this support. I need you to be there for me because she just doesn't know how to support somebody in that way. And it was really difficult. It was really, really hard. Um, <clears throat> So I think eventually I actually spoke to my breast care nurse and I was like, Look, I think I need some therapy. Um, and she sorted out me really quickly and that really helped me. Um, but not having that support from my family was really difficult. Also, like if I'd speak to my sisters about it, they didn't really know what to say. Like they were, they're fine in the sense that they're like, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. But I think you two can both relate. You don't want somebody to say everything's going to be fine. You want somebody to say, that's really shit. Talk to me about it. Um, but I think because I'm the youngest of the family, 
everyone was absolutely petrified. So my sister's only recently admitted to me, she said when I was first having chemo, she worked in a secondary school. She was absolutely terrified of being around me because she thought she would give me COVID and I would die. Um, but she only recently said this. Um, so in hindsight, it's kind of, I can understand why they weren't there and why they didn't give me that support. Um, I mean, South Asians just generally don't talk about their health. If somebody is sick, they'll just say, oh, they're just not feeling great. Um, so yeah, I think when I had to tell people I had cancer, um, I'm quite vocal. <laughs> don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> But um, I I just said to my mum, because when I was diagnosed, I didn't know anybody else that was South Asian that had had breast cancer. And it was very, very lonely. Um, So I kind of said to my mum, I was like, just so you know, I'm putting this all over Facebook. Um, So you have to deal with the repercussions from all of the family phoning you up and saying, oh, my God. Um, I said, but I'm not dealing with that. Um, so just just so you're warned, this is what I'm going to do. And she was she actually very surprisingly, she didn't put me off. She was like, OK, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Um, which I'm hoping in some sort of way helped her to process it because she got to talk with a lot of people. Um, like lots of my family members phoned up and they're like, oh, we've seen this on Facebook. What's going on? And she was able to talk to lots of other people. And she didn't really have to talk to me about it. So I'm hoping in some weird way, me plastering it all over social media sort of helped my mum in some kind of way as well. So It's time to hear a story about those around us. Suki, over to you. I like to think that my daughter is like quite on it. I mean, every parent says that, don't they? Like, my, my child is amazing, um, but she actually is. Uh, so when it came to telling them that I was poorly, the little one had no clue because he's quite feral. Um, <laughs> um, he was only two um, and my daughter was five. She kind of sort of understood what I was explaining to her I mean the hospital gave me a book before we go to bed the kids get a story so it wasn't too difficult to sort of incorporate that book into their bedtime routine um I think we just have to follow it with like some Dr Seuss just because it's a little bit heavy um, but so because like I said the little one was only two not really any clue quite happy to just listen to the story um but with my daughter I think it kind of it helped her to process what was going on um but I'm not really sure that she made the connections at the time so it was I read them the book and told them about the lump that's fine because she was like oh mommy you've got a lump in your boob haven't you and I was like yeah that's that's what's happened to me and I said I'm gonna have to have um so it describes what happens like loosely describes that you lose your hair because of chemo and I'm not sure if it says about radiotherapy um but it did just open up a dialogue a bit more so I kind of said to her you know this is probably what's going to happen to me and it does say in the book that the mummy does not have as much energy which I was really thankful for Um, so um yeah it's just I mean it's just a good 
good way of sort of introducing the kids into what's going to happen. Um, and I just had to keep explaining that I was quite ill. And then I sort of like made up something to explain to her exactly how cancer works and how chemo works. And so it was just something about like the bad people and having a good army that goes in and kills people. And blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, yeah, like my kids were, they were just brilliant. Like they, they were great. So obviously COVID's happened. Everyone's sat at home. Nobody can go anywhere. We have a garden. We're really lucky. There's only so much time you can spend in your garden with small children. <laughs> especially when you can't go to the shops and buy more stuff and you know even if you do they're only entertained for about three minutes and then they want to do something else so um I think in the midst of my chemo I was like oh let's go to the park I don't know why I thought this was a good idea uh so we turned up at the park there's a park near us which has got like two play bits and it's just like a huge it's got loads of paths around it a nice little pond um so we <clears throat> got to this park and we walked up and the kids just sort of like looked at the park and they saw all the kids and they're like <gasps> I mean can we go into the park and I was like no and they're like what and I was like I thought I could do it but then when we actually got to the park I was absolutely terrified of getting COVID because there were so many people in the park I was like oh my god I could actually get really ill and I just said to the kids I'm really sorry but mummy could get really really sick if we go into the park we can go for a walk around we can go and feed the ducks and then we can go home and instead of throwing big old wobbly tantrums they were just like okay and they were fine with it they were absolutely brilliant so I didn't have to feel like a shit mum because I took them to the park it's like literally holding an ice cream front and going <laughs> you can't eat this um but they, yeah, they were great. And I honestly don't think, I think if I didn't have my kids, I don't think I'd still be here, to be honest. Um, I really think, I don't think they realised just how much they helped. But yeah, when I had like my massive sepsis thing, when I was having my second load of chemo, the only thing that kind of kept me going is like, no, I need to still be around for those kids. They still need me. So um, yeah. They're the reason why I'm still here. Up next, it's the lost conversations of a cancer diagnosis. When you're ready, Suki. So when I was diagnosed, my course was put on hold. My university were great. Um, and me, in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, my radiotherapy will be finished in August. I can go back to university in September going to be a breeze no <laughs> my body said no um so I had to speak to my old tutor and I was just like look I don't think this is actually going to happen um so can we please put the course on hold for another year and they were like yeah sure no problem um I think they said that you you might have to provide some proof I literally scanned in every single hospital letter that I had and sent it to them <laughs> Because I was like, well, I'm not lying. Um, everything's a bit rubbish at the moment. So if they don't believe me, then it will be a bit rubbish. But they can't if they have like 50 million letters to show what I've been through. Um, anyway, they were great and they were fine. Um, and then 
I actually made friends with my old tutor because um, unfortunately his wife was diagnosed with cancer. Um, so we got on with each other really well. And just having little conversations with him um, throughout the year, he was, uh, he kind of, I don't know, I said to him, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back. And he was like, are you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay. Um, and his wife was brilliant. And she was just like, I don't really think that's a good idea. And I was like, no. And she's like, it's really stressful to be a teacher. And I was like, yeah, no, I think you might be right. Um, so now I have my course on hold still and I've been trying loads of things in between I really don't think I want to be a teacher anymore but now I kind of feel that I have lost my life purpose and I'm just kind of wading around and trying to figure out what the hell to do um, because post-cancer fatigue is a massive thing for me at the moment um, so I find I'm not really sure if people know how much energy children take from you, your own children in particular. Um, so I, I really enjoy when they go to school. <laughs> um, I mean, it's great for them. And also I get to sort of like keep my energy stores for when they come home because they honestly, within about two hours of them being home, I have no energy left. I literally have enough energy to make dinner and tidy up and put them to bed, put them to bed. Oh, I'm sure that takes more energy than anything else in the day. Um, so trying to find a way to work, I'm really struggling with. I have no clue what I'm doing. I do volunteer for a charity, um, but then recently so I was doing coffee clubs for them but I did three in a row and it really affected my mental health because I was taking on a lot of people's stories and I didn't realize that they were affecting me it's literally by the last one I was in tears last week <laughs> I don't think I could do this anymore it's really hard um so at the moment I'm quite happy to go and get a job in a supermarket <laughs> because it's what I imagine is no stress I just want something that is no stress um and also I just feel so I went through a big stage of being really angry at myself at the fact that I'm not working because I was like I am the epitome of a single mum that doesn't work like I, I literally I but I can't like to try and explain to people I I don't have the energy to do a full-time job and look after my children. And to be quite honest, my children come first. So I need to look after my kids. Um, and then working will come when it comes, I hope. Um, but yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out and I have no clue how to figure it out. And because I could get a full-time job, and three days into it, my body could go, we're not doing this. <laughs> you can't do this. Are you mad? Um, and I think that's probably the problem that I have. Um, but I also feel like if people, so I was talking to one of my friends recently and she said, you know, going by your posts on Instagram and Facebook where you've been running, you look like one of the healthiest people around. And I said, but I'm not. Like I literally, I went for a swim a few months back and because of COVID, they do it in like 
50 minute windows and I had 50 minutes. So I was like, yeah, I'll just swim for 50 minutes. The next day I was on ibuprofen and paracetamol for the entire day because I'd completely overdone it and my body was in a lot of pain. Um, but to try and explain to people that that's actually my life and I can't figure out the balance between exercising and my fatigue and looking after my children. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. And just to say on the fatigue thing, like I'm a bit further down the line than you are. Um, and actually, you know, there was a really great quote from Natalie, who was on the teenage years. And I think, you know, I, I still struggle with fatigue um I think fatigue does improve I don't think it necessarily goes away but Natalie I said a great thing she said you can never tell whether your fatigue has improved or if you just get better at learning to manage it Mm -hmm. but you do reach a point I think where you learn to manage it and you figure out how to how to deal with the 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 I don't want to say limitations because I don't think it is necessarily limitations but you do learn how to deal with the the new challenges that you have with your body and you know I was talking to my sister-in-law the other day and she said like how is your fatigue now like is this it for you now do you still get fatigue and is this going to be the same and I said well I, th- I feel like it's been the same for about two years now it hasn't changed but I know how to manage it I know if something is going to affect me I know that if I go to spin on the hottest day of the year so far i.e yesterday I'm probably going to be quite tired and probably have to go to bed at 8 30 on the hottest day of the year the next day um or if I go for like a long walk I know that like but you learn you learn to manage it and like you learn to manage your parameters I think um just for anybody else who is who is struggling to navigate that fatigue exercise life kids work balance I think yeah you do figure out what you can and and can't do and I think it's just about carving out that life that works for you and I think it sounds like you're in that place of, of carving out that Not Your Average is a chance for us to hear a story about something that someone who hasn't had cancer might not have experienced. So, Suki, over to you. So a DEEP surgery is where they use your stomach to make a breast, which is just amazing in itself. Um, So when they talk you through what you're going to wake up with, they say, oh, you have a few drains and uh, a catheter. I hate catheters. Um and a pain buster and I was like okay okay um so I woke up and I literally felt like a a puppet like (laughs) those little puppets that you get on strings um so I had three drains coming out of me um a catheter and a pain buster so a pain buster was literally like a tiny little tube going in just under where my where they'd stitched me up in my abdomen and it looked like a bomb on the end of it (laughs) which was just like in a little black bag um and they also oh there was also a machine that they put on your legs which nobody mentioned 
Um, so it, um, I think it helps your blood flow because obviously you've been in surgery for so long and it just makes the most horrendous noise and you're supposed to be expected to sleep throughout the night. Um, so you have that thing like pumping on your legs all evening. They also put a gigantic heater on you. Um, so there's this huge, you know, like you get air conditioners with the big tubes that come off. It's like that, but it's like being in the depths of hell. Um, so they, they put this on your duvet or under your duvet, and you have to keep this duvet on you all night. Um, because again, with the circulation and the blood flow, and they don't give you a fan. So anybody who's menopausal is like, <laughs> it's honestly, it's so horrible um, just being that hot. I think I actually managed to get a nurse at some point. And I was like, is there any chance I can have a fan, please? I'm really hot. Um, and I managed to get me one. Um, the I think day two, uh, they were supposed to be removing the catheter and... I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning and I was just like, it's a bit wet here. I put my hand down and I was just like, oh, that's wee. So my catheter had like popped open. Um, and the nurse looked really pissed off when I told her. I was just like, is there any chance that my catheter could come out, please? Because I think it's, I don't know what's happened to it. And she like lifted up the blanket and she was like, you put it under your leg. So it's literally just popped off. So um we're gonna have to sort that out and so they had to change all my bed sheets I, mean, I didn't do it on purpose who wants to lie in a puddle of their own piss nobody um so yeah they they sorted that out and then thankfully because of that little episode I think they took the catheter out a few hours earlier than they should have done um and then they oh so they said that they were going to take the drains out and I'd already had a couple of drains in for when I had my mastectomy. So I originally had a mastectomy with an implant and then my um, active treatment just completely destroyed it. So they decided to do a DA. <clears throat> um, and the woman came along and with the drains, they have to actually stitch them in place. So there's like this really big, well, it's actually quite a thick tube if you think about it quite a thick tube that they've stitched into the side of your body and the nurse is like oh, I'm just gonna cut these stitches so she cuts them off and I was like oh it's a little bit uncomfortable and then she's like all right I'm just gonna take the drain out and she started pulling it and I kid you not it felt like she was pulling my insides out at the same time I could feel this tube going out of my body um and then I just burst into tears and I was like <laughs> because uh it wasn't just the pain of that it was the whole cancer is shit I don't want to be here I'm really upset um and then she just went do you think you'd like some uh painkiller and I was like yes yes give why would you not offer that to somebody before you decide to take their drains out I just oh so she ran off she comes back and shoves this like little syringe in my mouth and she's like, oh, drink this. And I was like, okay. And so I'm just sitting there. I was like, surely she's going to wait a little while for it to kick in. And she went, we've got 30 minutes to take these drains out. So I need to get going right now. And I was like, <laughs> so I think it worked. I don't know if it was the adrenaline or if it was the painkiller. Um, 
but she managed to get them all out and then I was really miserable for like an hour or so afterwards and I was like I never would have a train again in my whole life um so yeah that's kind of something that I never thought I'd experience As ever on Afterthoughts, we like to end with a little bit of lightness because there can always be lightness found in the dark. So, Suki, I'm going to hand over to you to tell us your don't laugh story. So mine was right when I was diagnosed. Um, So I've got my results back and the the surgeon's telling me, like the sort of procedure that we're going to have to do and uh he's like oh there's there's not going to be any chemo or radiotherapy you're going to be fine because initially I was diagnosed with DCIS so it means it was contained so they wouldn't have to do anything um and then he goes to he goes to check it and at this point I think in the beginning when you are first getting your boobs out you feel a little bit uncomfortable anyway um so I was like okay well let's just get this over and done with and he's standing there and he's like, oh, yeah, definitely a lump there. And then he <laughs> he grabs my nipple and he just sort of like starts pinching it. And, and the only way that I can describe this is when you are very young and you start messing around with people um, and exploring your sexuality and they have no fucking clue what they're doing. <laughs> kind of felt like that. <laughs> and he's just standing there pinching it and he's like oh yeah no I think we're going to need to check your lymph nodes because um I feel that it might have actually gone to your lymph nodes and I was like okay fine so he's having a conversation with everybody else around me still pinching my nipple and I'm just like it's a bit weird now but I can't say anything (laughs) worse is that he's like a little Indian man so he just reminded me of like anybody that could have been in my extended family <laughs> it was just really awkward um but yeah safe to say that uh we did do that again it was just like when you are in your teens and somebody uh, like bumbling around Giving you awkward flashbacks to your youth. I'm yes. just, I'm just, I, I don't know if it's like, uh, I used to watch quite a lot of spoof films when I was younger. Like I'm really that. glad you said spoof films and not. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Naked Gun, Airplane, those kind of films. I don't know if you ever watched any of those, but all I'm imagining is like, uh, like, the fact he's like doing this and he's saying speaking to this room of people and they're all just coming in one after the other and it's just <laughs> continuing on and he's like yeah they're all in the doorway they're all crowded in and, all just, and you're just ah okay he was only doing it for like 10 seconds but I bet it felt like about 10 minutes yeah 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 like it was 10 minutes and you're like okay just carry on here we go this has got weird this has got weird <laughs> oh my days but you do get alarmingly comfortable with getting your boobs out quite quickly after a cancer diagnosis don't you like all dignity just goes out the window very quickly can I just say it's probably with breast cancer I don't don't think it's something with the lymph Hodgkin's lymphoma I don't think there was I think there'd be a different kind of it's not general (laughs) cancers (laughs) if it was then you'd be like okay right right that's yeah uh so with breast cancer I think we should we should definitely say that 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you probably want to get your tits out if you had uh, a blood cancer. No, 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 you have to. You know, it's lymphoma stuff. But hey, there's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Sookie, for coming on Afterthoughts. It's been an absolute hoot to have you. We've laughed a lot, and you've given us so much food for thought, um, so much great stuff to think about, and some incredible stories. So, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed myself this morning. Wonderful. What a fantastic chat we've had. In the heat, uh, we have been cooled by uh, the the tales that Suki has shared. Are you not liking that? That's uh, your face. Just, just, a bit, just a bit unusual. How what? can you be cooled by, cooled by tales? Well, I, I, do you know what it was? Maybe I just got, um, I was so enthralled that um, I just forgot about the heat for a while. Well, I like that. I can see that. Um, I Yes, I was enthralled um, by Sookie's stories. Um, oh, Sookie's stories. That sounds like a really great other podcast. It does, actually. Yeah. Maybe we just, we'll, we'll cut that out because I just think it might give Sookie the idea, you know, Sookie's story. <laughs> but, um, I think there's room for everyone. Let's there have, is room uh, for everyone, absolutely. Let's have Sookie's uh, stories. Um, that would be. It also sounds like it could be a bedtime reading. I'd like. Yeah, or like an event in the library. Ooh. Yeah, I think like Sookie's Sookie's stories on a Friday afternoon that kids go to, and they all just sit there and look at her as she reads stories. Mm. I think that'd be great. Um, well, let's hear about the stories that she shared with us today, Alice, mm. and yeah. um, maybe your afterthoughts on today's episode. Yeah, my afterthoughts on today today's episode (laughs) my afterthoughts on today's episode I just I mean you know I think a lot about mental health and um how important it is that we continue to talk about the long-term impacts that a cancer diagnosis has on particularly patients who are diagnosed young um the long-term impact it has on those people and I just think what was really pertinent from from Suki's story in um, Invisible Impacts was like what a privilege it is to be able to talk about your mental health. And it, it's a privilege that not everyone has. It's the definition of privilege, right? But like I, I have been in a position where I've been able to talk about the impact that cancer has had on my mental health. And... I think it's really important that we recognise that not everyone has that. You know, we talk about how much of an improvement there has been on breaking down the taboos and the stigma around talking about mental health, but there are still sections of society where that is not okay. And I just think it's really important to recognise that and recognise that there's still work to be done. And I think people like Suki, who are shining a light on that, are doing incredible work and I hope that you know there comes a time where we will be in a position where everyone feels comfortable to talk about their mental health you know where where people can talk about postnatal depression and they can talk about the impact that a cancer diagnosis has had on their brain um and I think continuing to talk about that and people like Suki who are breaking the mold are so important for that um and yeah, I just have a lot of respect for people who are are doing the yeah. work. They're, they're like holding their own feet to the fire mm. because 
if Suki's doing that, she's going to instill that in her kids and her kids will then be able to instill that that bravery in their own kids and they'll start to break break that tradition of not talking about it. And I just think that's so important. I, I really like that that um, phrase you just used, holding your feet to the fire as well, Ooh. because we, we spoke about this, um, about how we acknowledge quite a lot on afterthoughts that you telling your story can be really can be difficult and sharing things on social media can be difficult like uh particularly if you're trying to kind of amplify these invisible impacts as well Ooh. and the the like because at afterthoughts all our storytellers have access to support uh, as part of coming on the pod alice and i have access as well right when we're doing this and and it's just because it is hard to tell your story sometimes. Yeah. It is hard to talk sometimes. But how much we believe that um, actually it's an important part of shifting the narrative, evolving the narrative we talk about quite a lot, don't we? And 100%. putting layers to it. So, yes, really hear you on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so just power to Suki and other people who are just continuing to have the conversation despite whatever challenges they may be facing from their community or you know their family or whatever um yeah i just think it's so important and um, what about you what were your afterthoughts on today's episode of that i am going to focus on running um, oh really yeah really um, mainly just because it gave me real um like I was like oh my word please Achilles heal soon (laughs) my tendonitis is really getting me down um just really feeling that that of being like how uh like I love the uh I'm taking that rule uh which uh was uh we we have a rule if you put on your gear then you need to run like I, I definitely have that occasionally where I put on my my running gear and I'm like oh it's looking a little bit funny outside maybe I won't go but I know how important it is for my mental health I know how important it is like for my physical health as well um and so some and sometimes I don't do it and I just really really felt that like from Suki about how like oh it's like maybe it wasn't something before as well but like how how important it is to her now and uh yeah I just got Gus every time she was speaking about it I was in really having having the feels um yeah but you need to make sure you look after your Achilles so that you can keep running for a very long time it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain that is very true Alice May Perkis and I appreciate you telling me that because otherwise I was just about to go people don't know that I do have my running kit underneath um (laughs) Like Superman. Just really ah! You're going to uh, burst out of your white t-shirt and have your running kit on below. <laughs> um, but it has been a great episode and another lovely kind of volume to add to the library that we are creating here mm-hmm. at Afterthoughts. Um, yeah. And I hope the listeners have enjoyed hearing the stories in their ears. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks so much for listening to another episode of Afterthoughts. Um, We hope you love listening to Suki as much as we did. And we'll look forward to being back with you very soon. If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, 
We really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support. Afterthoughts is supported by Trekstock and Alike. If you've been diagnosed with cancer in your 20s or your 30s, whatever type, whatever stage, Trekstock will help get you moving, get connected and create the life you want beyond your diagnosis. Alike is a game-changing peer support platform because living with cancer can be lonely. Speaking to others who've been there, done that and worn the unflattering hospital gown makes all the difference. Alike is powered by friendship.